I read this week, if you want to know what a church believes, listen to the songs that they sing. And if you want to know how much they believe it, listen to how loudly they sing. I got a, a notification on my, my watch during worship this morning that uh, it was loud in here. And it said, if you're in this environment too long, you're going to cause uh, hearing damage. So thanks for believing <laughs> today with us. Today's gospel text, it makes Jesus sound like he's kind of speaking out of both sides of his mouth. And I hope you feel that tension. I, th I think we will together if, if you don't already. I remember reading back in 2017, there was uh, this Australian millionaire and he was being interviewed on the housing crisis, the state of the economy, why can't millennials, why can't they get ahead financially, what's going on? And some of you might remember this. His suggestion for those millennials who want to buy a house was to stop buying avocado toast. <laughs> Last week I was scrolling through the news and I came across this article from uh, Mexico that there was this huge surplus of avocados <laughs> because no one is buying avocados anymore. And someone responded to it and said, what do you want us to do? <laughs> do you want us to buy the avocados or not buy the avocados? That's something of how I felt reading <laughs> The gospel text this week, Jesus shows up and he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And then he says that God is going to come like a thief in the night. There are a couple other texts that I want us to draw our attention to from the lectionary this week. Genesis 15 verse 1 this is God coming to Abram before he is Abraham. And he says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Our psalm for today that responds to some of these texts is from Psalm 33. And there's this verse, verse 18. Truly the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. On those whose hope is in his steadfast love. Do not be afraid. Is this double-minded Jesus in this moment? It feels like, again, Jesus is speaking to us out of both sides of his mouth today. Do not be afraid, but also pay attention to the fear of the Lord. So we're told not to be afraid again and again and again, which is nice. It feels good to be told, don't be afraid that there's nothing to be afraid of, but that's not really what Jesus is suggesting. To have to be told this word of peace, to have to be told do not be afraid, implies that there are things that we should be afraid of, that there are things that are causing fear in our lives. So we might think, Jesus, maybe you should show up a little differently if you don't want us to be afraid. Maybe don't come as a thief in the night. Uh, some of you have heard me talk about this before. My wife does not want to see an angel. There's nothing in her that is like, that is like the worst thing that could happen to her. 
Because every time an angel of the Lord appears, was the very first thing that they say, don't be afraid. (laughs) Don't be afraid. So we are in this kind of tension, this this in-between space of being told, do not be afraid, but that somehow we ought to participate and live our lives in the fear of the Lord. This is a recurring theme over and over and over again throughout scripture, that the Lord appears and he speaks the word of peace, do not be afraid, but do not be afraid is always set alongside living in the fear of the Lord. So how do we navigate this? What does it mean for us to be the people of God who fear the Lord, who appears to us telling us not to be afraid? And not only does he tell us not to be afraid, but whenever God appears and says, don't be afraid, it's always tied to some kind of promise. It's always tied to something about our identity or something about who God is or how God is going to be with us. Do not be afraid is always attached to a promise. Do not be afraid because this is about to happen to you. We see this with Mary. Do not be afraid because you are blessed and highly favored. We see this with with Abram just a moment ago. Do not be afraid because I am your shield and your reward will be great. These appearances of the Lord, they give an assurance that there's no need to be afraid because there is a deeper, truer promise for your life. But of course, the very need for the Lord to appear and to speak the word of peace, do not be afraid, means there is some presence of fear in us. Part of what we have to distinguish as the people of God is the fear of God versus the fear of the Lord. So we have these two fears, the fear of God versus the fear of the Lord, while also having to wrestle with the fear of our world and our future and uncertainty, all of the unknown parts about our lives. Eugene Peterson is helpful here. He says, the fear of God is terror before the threat of the unknown. But he says, the fear of the Lord is reverence before and alertness in the presence of the revealed one. The fear of the Lord then is more about our awareness than it is about terror. It's a fear that pulls us out of our preoccupation with ourselves, with our feelings, with our circumstances into the word, the world of God, into the world of the kingdom. This is not dread, it is astonishment. It's not terror, it's reverence. It's not a shaking in your boots panic, it's an enraptured with love fascination with God. Wherever the Lord's work starts to break into our lives, it's kind of an arresting, overwhelming thing that happens to us. That sense of fear is a sign that something else has arrived in our lives, something that we are not in control of. So the fear of the Lord is not something that's rooted in God's being malicious. Again, we don't fear God in ways that make him out to be terrible, like he's going to to terrorize us in some way. 
But when God shows up, it's more often that we become aware of our own maliciousness, that we become more aware of our own violence and the, the, the ways that we are prone to greed and to pride and to selfishness in ways that this God tears out of us. So when we rightly sense the fear of the Lord, we're not just revering the wonder of this God who is other than us, we are starkly aware of our own humanity. We become aware of the ways in which we are not at all like this God who has shown up. Isaiah 11, this is verse one through three. This is a foretelling, right, of Jesus coming onto the scene, and it says that a shoot shall come from the stock of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Remember that line. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. This is what we see in Jesus. A fear in him that is, that is holy, an alertness to God the Father and an awareness of this humanity, our humanity that he has taken up. We need that. We need, we need that awareness of God and God's otherness because it is the antidote for the, the poison of unholy fear that plagues our lives. Unholy fear, which again, Eugene Peterson marks as the fear of God. It doesn't make us, doesn't make us careful. It doesn't make us attentive. It doesn't make us aware of God and our neighbor. Unholy fear makes us hide. Unholy fear makes us suspicious of God and our neighbor. Unholy fear hears that God is going to come as a thief and can't hear it as good news. Unholy fear is like Adam and Eve in the garden after they've disobeyed and they're hiding. They want to hide themselves from God. They want to hide themselves from one another out of an unholy kind of fear. But a holy fear is found in revering God, recognizing that without God, being left to my own devices, I lack all of what is essential to being human as God imagines me to be human. That I lack those things that Isaiah 11 mentioned. I lack a spirit of wisdom and understanding. I lack the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge. But holy fear is not just about respect. It's not just about seeing this God that is bigger than I am and respecting God's, God's bigness in some way. And it's, again, it's certainly not about terror. First John reminds us that there is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. We love God because God loves us as we learn to live in the fear of the Lord. We don't love God in order to get God to love us. We've received God's love and we love in response. But love mixed with the wrong kind of fear isn't holy. 
And this is what God is calling us to do, to learn to love in ways that fear God in some way that is holy. Unholy fear makes us cling. It makes us hide from God rather than be attentive to God. It makes us hide from one another rather than living lives that are broken open for one another. We don't love God for fear of what God might do to us. We begin with fear and we end in love. It's not that love that leads us to fear, it's fear and awareness that was always unified with love. Are you tracking with me? Because I'm gonna go to Maximus the Confessor and I'm gonna lose all you. This is what Maximus says about fear and love. He says that the fear of God is two kinds. The first is generated in us by the threat of punishment. It's through such fear that we develop in due order self-control, patience, hope in God, and dispassion. And it is from dispassion that loves come. So this is the first negative kind of fear that he's outlining, that because we're afraid of God and what God might do to us, that's how we work our way into self-control. It's how we work our way into patience and to hoping in God because we fear what God is going to do. We fear the punishment of the Lord. But he says the second kind of fear is linked with love and constantly produces reverence in the soul so that it does not grow indifferent to God because of the intimate communion of its love. He says the first kind of fear is expelled by perfect love when the soul has acquired this and is no longer afraid of punishment. The second kind, as we've already said, is always found united with perfect love. What is he saying? There is a fear of God that is not right, even at the beginning. And so it has to be dispassioned, it has to be expelled in order for love to come into our lives. But there is another kind of fear that is already intimately connected with love. That is living in the fear of the Lord versus the fear of God. The first kind of fear, again, is this, this fear of punishment, but the second kind of fear is a fear of otherness. The awareness that even apart from our sin, we are mortals, we are finite, we are utterly dependent. And we become aware of this as we become aware of a God who is divine and infinite and altogether without need. That fear that rises up in us is the acknowledgement that this God who comes to us, again, is not at all like who we are or what we are. And this is the tension, that we often want our fears to be assuaged. We want our fears to be calmed. We want God to be present in our lives in such a way that we have no fear. Remember, the Lord himself comes and offers us peace. Do not be afraid. But learning to live in the fear of the Lord isn't something that ought to be assuaged or ought to be calmed in us. God is not 
tame like that. God is good. God is good. That doesn't mean God is predictable. That doesn't mean that we know everything that God has for us. God is not tame. God is good. And God is so good that knowing our fear of otherness, God in Christ comes close by taking on our humanity so that the otherness of God becomes our otherness. The fear of the Lord is not calmed in us by reassurances that everything is going to be all right. The fear of the Lord calms our anxieties about the unknowableness about the future by reassuring us that everything that belongs to God belongs to us. Everything that Christ experiences, we will also experience. That means that even when we experience life, it's because Christ lived our life. That when we experience death, it's okay because Christ experienced death too. I don't really have time for this, and I wasn't going to mention this, but Father Chris will appreciate it, so I'm going to say it. I'm reading this novel right now that he told me a long time ago to read, and I'm not a novel reader, and I don't read fiction, but I'm realizing it's good for me. So I've been reading it, and I love it. It's great. It's called Laurus, L-A-U-R-U-S. And there's this scene where this old man dies, and his grandson is distraught beside himself, doesn't know what to do. And this priest, this elder from a monastery nearby comes, and he's just reading the Psalms over him while this man is laying there on his bed, dead. And the grandson comes in and the elder just looks at him and he hands him the Psalter, hands him the prayer book and says, you take over for a while. And so he's there and he's reading and he turns and he sees the elder get in bed next to his dead grandfather. And he lays down next to him and he crosses his arms and he closes his eyes and he goes to sleep. And it says that he realized that even though he was alive, he was laying there as a way of joining him in death. That he's laying there participating in this death that he's experiencing. And he says that he's doing it because he knows that the first steps into death are the hardest ones. And so he's laying there joining him as he makes that journey. That's something of what our life with Christ is like. Not that we are saved from death, but that even in death, Christ is there laying beside us, not pretending, not, not acting it all out again, but Christ has died. We say it every Sunday in our Eucharist liturgy. This is the, the mystery of our faith, that Christ has died and Christ is risen that's what it is to hold on to the promises of God when he tells us to not be afraid as we learn to live in the fear of the Lord. It's that our future is unknown and it is uncertain. But we can live in the fear of the Lord in ways that recognize that when Jesus shows up and says, do not be afraid, it's tied to a promise. And that the promise is that I am with you. That's what gets assuaged in us. That's the promise that calms our anxieties. Jesus goes and tells his disciples this story. And remember those lines from Isaiah, that his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. And in this story, 
Jesus basically outlines two scenarios. In one, there are, there are servants who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet. And when the master comes, he finds them alert and aware. They were keeping watch. They were on guard. And the master shows up, and the master doesn't expect to be served by his servants. The master arrives, and it says that he fastens his belt, and he will have them recline at the table, and he will serve them. The servants are waiting on a master who comes and serves them, not the other way around. And the servants delight in the return of their master. And then Jesus shifts this story from from being servants to being the master, to being the homeowner. And when the master doesn't live with that same kind of awareness, the thief comes and takes what was his. What we're meant to see in this, the reality that's being played out here, is that it is God who is always coming to us. God is coming for us. And either we will be people who watch as servants, eager to love and eager to serve, and so receive a master who comes to serve us, or we watch as masters. We watch as people defending our possessions, defending our money, defending our time, defending our politics, not realizing that that means God can only come to us as a thief. God can only arrive to take back what's his, and it will feel like a thief in the night to us. The fear of the Lord begins by recognizing whose house and whose world we are in. And it will either be taken from us because we think it's ours, or we will delight that God has come to claim what has been God's all along. Remember, this text opens, do not be afraid. Why? Because God delights to give you the kingdom. God, as the master, returns to what is rightfully his. He puts a belt around his waist, he serves us, and then gives us everything that belongs to him. George MacDonald says, in God's kingdom, everyone is made a king who serves all. Of course, this this kind of life is a life that only faith can make possible for us. To live in the fear of the Lord who tells us, do not be afraid, that can only be done by faith. For most of us, we've thought as faith as the deeply held beliefs. Faith, in a sense, is the same as our our convictions, those things that we hold dear to us. And faith has been used in a way, especially in our culture, that we've thought having faith secures a kind of future for us. That somehow by having faith, we can make good things happen. We can make our goals and our wishes and our ambitions. Those things can be possible if we just have enough faith. And when our lives are going poorly, when tragedy strikes, 
when sickness comes. We've heard this from so many well-meaning people. You just got to have faith. Hebrews 11 is one of our other texts today. And this is, you know, we have all these kind of funny titles for these chunks of scripture. This is the heroes of faith. (laughs) And it gives us verses one through three, and then it jumps down to eight. And we'll read this quickly. That faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen and was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abraham obeyed. We just jumped five verses. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out not knowing where he was going. In those omitted verses, those five verses in between there, One of the things that it says is that by faith, Abel obeyed and offered a sacrifice better than Cain did. (laughs) These are the heroes of faith. What happened to Abel? He was murdered by his own brother, (laughs) is what happens to Abel. By faith, Abel obeyed, and it turns out Abel having faith didn't lead to a bigger, brighter, better future for him. Abel didn't learn what it is to win every day. Abel had faith, he obeyed, and then he was murdered. (laughs) It turns out that having faith doesn't secure any kind of future for us. Faith is not about holding out or somehow controlling our lives. Faith isn't just about waiting for things to get better for us. We hold on to the hope of what God alone can make for us. We're not holding out for a better future. We're holding on to God, not to wishes, not to ambitions, not to our nostalgia for the past or to our plans for a better future. Faith is about holding on to God and to the promises of God. Remember, we've heard this already. I am your shield, and your reward will be great. You are blessed and highly favored. Isaiah 41, I am with you, and I am your God. Deuteronomy 31, do not be afraid, for the Lord your God goes with you. Isaiah 41 again, because I will help you. Do not be afraid because you are worth more than many sparrows. Being a person of faith doesn't mean life won't be scary. Being a person of faith does not mean that there won't be things to be afraid of. Just because you're told, do not be afraid, doesn't mean that you won't have fear. You don't even need to know where you're going or what the future holds in order to have faith. Remember, (laughs) Abram, again, Abram left. He, by faith, he obeyed, and he went somewhere. He had no idea where he was going. At best, that's what life with God looks like. 
means having faith and you set out, unsure of where you're going, but trusting in the goodness of God. Again, faith is not about securing a kind of future for ourselves. It doesn't make our wishes and our dreams come true. Faith is trusting our future to the God who alone can make our future possible. Trusting that when God comes to us and God will come to us, God serves us and God gives us exactly what we need as we learn to serve alongside the God who serves us. Does this mean if I have faith, everything will work out, that I'll never get sick, that my kids will always be safe, that I'll never have any money problems or marriage problems or any other kind of problems? No. This is the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ today. No, it doesn't mean you won't have problems. In this life, you will have trouble. But take heart. God has overcome the world. This life of faith. It's what makes living in the fear of the Lord possible in a way that allows us to not be afraid. Remember the lines of that song that you all know that it was grace that taught my heart to fear. And it was grace my fear relieved. Somehow, in some way, living in the fear of the Lord who comes to tell us, do not be afraid, living our lives like that is all grace. Amen.